0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Candela. I'm Alan Challer and I'm joined by Christopher Houghton. Hello, how you doing? Very well, thank you. Today we're going to be discussing camera placement and technique in film and photography and how it can be used to manipulate the viewer's feelings towards a scene.
1: Yes, indeed. Hmm. So yeah, I think broadly talking about like angles today and about how you kind of approach a subject, you might have the best subject or scene in the world, but it still comes down to where you're going to position yourself and position the camera. And, um, I guess it'd be interesting out to hear you talk a little bit about, because, you know, you, you switch it up quite a lot. Um, you used to kind of start quite tight into subjects. Maybe you've backed away broadly in your career over the years, but, um, you know, you do have some scenes where you've got this tiny little person right on the horizon, you know, maybe they're surrounded by snow or whatever. And then you do have some that are closer in. So, I mean, I know some of it is just, feel anyway but um when you when you see someone out in the wild who you think is interesting Mm. what's going through your brain when you uh initially you know you're there on your feet where are you going to move um it all
0: depends per per scene depending on how you want to tell it as well so the same scene can say a lot depending on how wide you go and the context that you allow in uh I, i learned a lot from looking at uh photos like iconic photos taken over history and a lot of them are very kind of close in, uh, you know, like the picture from the Great Depression, uh, the one of the mother with her children, the iconic shot of the man tipping the, uh, the nurse, I think, the sailor tipping the nurse to celebrate the end of the war. And it, it was just fr- through studying these things and just thinking, you know, oh, more often than not, the, the thing that interested me the most was that the camera wasn't uh, at head height very often. It's often from an interesting angle, you know whether it's like chest height or or even lower, like le- you know knee height. And Elliot Erwitt was so great at shooting uh, dogs from the low perspective of a dog, so essentially turning the viewer into a dog mm. uh, and seeing a dog from that height, which is what I think made those photos so novel. But I mean, for me, I, I kind of, and it's a bit vague, but I, I guess a generalisation I could say for my own pictures was that I started off shooting quite. Uh, close and having the kind of person and their
1: expression filling the frame which is something i guess a lot of people do when they're when they're starting out their instinct is to kind of get in and capture the character of the person
0: yeah and it's, and it's quite hard to do actually to get the the courage let's say mm. to to go in and and do that so it was almost like a challenge but now i, I quite like making a variety of different scenes and often uh learning the people be very small which gives it a whole different feel as well but um yeah it's funny how that changes and and you can see it in a lot of photographers work like uh, steve mccurry going through his afghanistan book which uh, for anyone listening uh who hasn't seen it should probably have a look it's it's a very accomplished body of work and um it's amazing how he goes through like all these different perspectives and uh, wide lenses, long lenses, you know, landscapes, people scenes, but it all has his feel to it. Yeah. And I think that most of that feel is just not us being a standard photo, which people seem to try and avoid. Um, Or like Martin Parr style, do the complete opposite and kind of make life look super, almost like hyper-realistic, you know, just like completely not shooting from a perspective point of view. I mean, this is a generalization about his work, but so many of his pictures, it's, it's not really about the photo, the te- the technique of the photograph. It's about the, the content entirely.
1: Yeah, and very much about the subject and just presenting it in a kind of, here it is kind of way
0: yes yeah yeah and and almost like if you started messing around with fancy lenses and fancy perspectives i think it would yeah. detract from 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 what he's doing so he's like the other side of it
1: yeah like he's he's got you know that famous photo of a just a, a slice of bread and butter on a plate you know if you <laughs> you shot that from a, a super weird angle that's just so unnecessary
0: yeah a lot of people look at that picture and they go like that's a rubbish bit you know they, they, they don't but the th- it's not meant to be a yeah.
1: picture like beautifully composed yeah
0: yeah it's, it's kind of part of his uh, body of work on food and when you start looking at it as a series you know you, you can you can get a, an idea of what he's trying to do and you know it's not for everyone but uh, yeah, a lot of photographers aren't for everyone.
1: I guess this all comes back to like what is photography and what is street photography in a way and, and often it's sort of about presenting the everyday but making you look at it uh, in a different way and you know and make it seem somehow otherworldly. So it makes sense that you would want to get away from head height for that, because you know that's head height is how we all experience the world as we move through it. So the more you can play around with being down on the ground or up in the air, you're just you're gonna you're gonna look at things in new ways.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's quite important with portraiture, for example. To I mean, just small movements of the camera can make a huge difference in in terms of how someone would look at a subject. You know, like those pictures by Sally Mann of the, of the, uh, the the super famous one of the of the girl, the young girl mm. with the with the candy cigarette. That's just like the camera's like bang on eye level, and I think if they had if if she had positioned the camera like a foot above, so you, like you're looking down, it would have almost made it like quite childish and like oh here's a silly kid holding a candy cigarette. Yeah. Whereas yeah, you're right. whereas, whereas shooting it from that flat angle is like it's almost like makes makes the kid look a lot more mature and
1: i don't know or or the kind of the i look at the other way around is that like when I, i i love her work and when you look at it yeah you don't feel like an adult who's kind of like watching over these kids you feel like you are a child it takes you back a bit and that is rather than to me make them look older it kind of it kind of returns you to thinking what it was like when you were running around running through sprinklers and being that height and that age and that's kind of what's kind of what works about it yeah and there's
0: a it's a subtle thing it is it, certainly effective and you know a lot of people find out pretty quick when they start doing photography if you if you take a picture of someone from below up it gives them more of a sense of presence or or power. so like often pictures of presidents when they're giving speeches are are from from that low angle uh, to make them look a bit more imposing. But yes, there are lots and lots of, of different positional techniques. And, and of course, in film, in film that it's, uh, it can be even more so.
1: Yeah, and I guess, you know, it's a good point you make about how there is that thing of like, you know, the classic, you shoot them from down below looking up, they look really powerful. You shoot them from up above, they look sort of diminutive. But then obviously that being such a trope, you can then kind of play off that as well. So, you know, you could shoot a tiny little dog from right down at the floor and make him look big and there's something kind of comedic to that so you can kind of yeah, absolutely kind of spins around and works both ways um, yeah i mean but yeah perspective a, a
0: combination of angle and perspective can be uh can can literally make a picture out of nothing actually
1: yeah yeah i think with the with the moving images side of things it's 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 fascinating and it's and it's everything really uh how you kind of approach scene there's so many options and i think it's the one of the most fun parts of the filmmaking process, especially if, I mean, it, you know, you could be in a situation like in uh, with Adam Newport Barrow that we spoke to with Euphoria, which somehow unbelievably, a lot of it seemed to be created on the fly. But if you are sitting down beforehand, uh, you know, a DOP sitting down with the director and thinking, right, how are we going to approach this? There's so much on the table. It's such a sandbox to be played with. And, uh, it's something probably not talked about enough either, like, I have this thing with with film criticism I always thought if I did like a parody of film criticism I would call it beautifully shot because this is the phrase you always hear <laughs> in reviews like they, they always you know say that they're like "Ah, oh, the revenant I didn't really like the revenant it wasn't great it was beautifully shot though but then they always just move on and it's like okay well how is it beautifully shot can you explain to me and tell me what it was that was beautiful about it it's also, be- it should be for that budget <laughs> it should be yeah but the fact that it, it never is really taken further than that it's like often that i think film critics can like bang on all day about like character arcs and character progression and plot but um don't ever really talk to you about what it is they like about um the use of the camera well
0: i mean thinking back to the revenant um there's that scene where he's uh his breath ends up on the front of the lens mm. uh, where he's so close to the camera and, and and they're shooting with something. It must be super wide, like a 18 yeah. or something. And, and they're using it as a, you know, he's like on the floor, like quite badly hurt, I think. And he's, um, Oh, it, it's, it's when he discovers his son after he's been, well, spoiler alert, after he's been uh, stabbed to death and, and he's like over the body and he's grieving and, and just the way that they chose to shoot that, uh, like super in you know going that close, and then and then the the lens because it's so wide has distorted you know it's got elements of distortion to it, so like his features are almost like looking a bit weird and uh, and and not normal, and it just totally
1: works with. With uh, that's why it's beautifully shot. That's you know, scenes like yeah, that. Yeah, you would never see anyone talk about that how close they're getting up to be one, how much they're pulling in on those really wide lenses, and it really does create a specific look to that film. And it's kind of a style that uh, the DOP Lubeski does a lot. Um, but yeah, so thinking about. The different ways you can use a camera in a a film scene, it's sort of like if you go to film school, like, you know, lesson one is going to be you have your establishing shot, you know, you're out wide kind of taking in where letting people know where the characters are. And then you move in and, you know, you get the coverage of shooting someone over the shoulder from one side and then over the shoulder from the other side. So then you've got options and then you kind of broadly cut between the two. And that's sort of like shooting a scene 101. But I mean, obviously there's so many different ways you can come, come at it. And it's quite fun to just sort of think about, you know, if you imagine we've got a scene where it's, we're in like a kind of smoky mafia run restaurant, it's all sort of dim and there's lots of overly kind of furnished and decorated and Robert De Niro is sitting opposite Al Pacino there, they're eating dinner and most of the other tables are empty. There's so many different ways you can come from that scene and really like the angles that you choose are just going to change how you feel about it so much. Mm. And I think you can kind of sort of distill it down often to what the different angles are going to give you. Like I think holding on holding on the wide shot and pulling back in those scenes creates a sense of sort of distance and uh, it kind of makes it look a bit more, not buffoonish, it just makes it look a bit more weird than when you're jumping from over the shoulder. It just feels very more sort of, Casual and conversational and like everything's fine. I think it's something that um, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, we spoke about it to Dan Sackheim a little bit, um, about how that show will often just really just stay on the wide and just let two characters talk and not feel the need to like come in and you see what they say and now you see what this person says, now you see what this person says again. And I'm a real fan of that because it's often, it's just a little bit unnecessary and sometimes it's nicer to just rather than, I think, I guess, there's a temptation to try and get so much coverage and shoot from so many different angles. But mm. sometimes there's something quite nice about just staying in one place and being like, right, we're just going to stay here and we're going to watch this play out. And it's amazing that you just because you don't have those close-ups in there doesn't mean that you don't still get a lot of emotion from it. And sometimes you can get more so because of that. Um, so- Absolutely. I mean, the,
0: the extreme of that, obviously, is is the one-take idea mm. or, or shooting a very, very long sequence. Uh, and I think I mean I don't want to go into that too much, but the the idea of you know when there are no cuts, it actually is a lot more gripping, uh, uh, Well, it can be as long as the acting is is on point. Um, but it can involve you in in a in a very different way to when things are jumping all over the place. And and it's quite nice having a wide scene. Like I remember there's one of um, Jesse and Mr. White out mm. in the desert, and they're facing each other having this like argument. And you find yourself just like looking around the scene. Yeah. And just like it, it makes you a lot more um feel feel more kind of present with with their situation almost.
1: Yeah. When you whether it's like a Winnebago in the middle of the desert or it's like Sol Goodman walking out to a, a car in a weird sort of strip mall in Albuquerque, it, it has does have a very like nice feel when you're on those super wides. And yeah, it's it's quite interesting seeing the sort of the arc of camera movement over the years, because obviously, especially with TV, where for so many years, it was so standard. Everyone really sort of rigidly adhered to those that that kind of like set of camera options. And then it was up to the editor to just cut between them, whereas now you're seeing people be a lot more creative, um, partly because this is something we've spoken about a little bit on the podcast before with with a film, you've kind of often you need to have those close ups because you're still trying to establish who these people are, like literally is that, is that Paul or is that Dave, you know, and they need to be able to see them. But it's that's sort of something so freeing about TV is that, like, if you're on season four, episode five, everyone knows what the fuck Jon Snow looks like. You don't necessarily need to be in close so you can play around more. Um, yeah. But it, there's also sort of a downside to that. Like, uh, sometimes you watch, there are some TV shows you watch now and you kind of, I kind of feel like they're overly going a bit too crazy with the shot list and i sort of i appreciate it because I, I you know it's good to see people uh trying to be unique and trying to be you know imaginative but um sometimes those it can be a bit distracting i think i mean mr robot is a really well shot tv show but sometimes that goes a little bit over the top and obviously all these techniques are great whether you know you're down on the table if you we go back to our the Niro pacino scene and you're amongst the cutlery or if you're like right up aerial looking down on them these are all beautiful Mm. but they need to be kind of used sparingly because they do have a feel to them and for instance if if the character is just just going up to uh, a desk clerk and like buying something you probably don't if you go if you could start going crazy with those shots yeah, yeah you don't need to you don't need to dwell on that scene and make a really big cinematic thing of it you're probably better off just keeping fairly simple with that
0: well it's like it's like uh the drummer Nick Mason from Pink Floyd. People are like, oh, he's got the easiest job in the world. Cause, you know, often their songs just require such a slow, simple four-four drum beat. Mm. But but it's that is literally what was needed for because the music had so much else going on that he kind of wrote the part that was needed for the song rather than trying to just show off his technique, which I'm sure he has in abundance. But he just doesn't doesn't use it. And I think in the same way, it takes a bit of. A, Courage, I suppose, and and, and experience for a, for a photographer or or a DOP or a director to to know, you know, when to use when, when to lean on on um, ca- you know, tricks like camera effects and kind of dramatic dramatic aids, if you like, from lenses and, and yeah. camera positions, and when and when not to, and when just to let it let it be. Like for example, so, some photos that I've taken, uh, the scene has been. Uh, interesting enough that it hasn't required some sort of uh, bonker's position or yeah uh, and and then sometimes it's like the scene just isn't or it or needs it to to tell the point of the photograph
1: yeah well like I guess with with some of your shots you can you can sort of see that it's more the situation that interests you and you're like oh this is a cool scene I'm gonna kind of stay out wide here and wait for the right subject to walk into the scene. And then other times it's completely led by the subject, which is, uh, I guess that makes a huge difference as well. Yeah. And 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 I found
0: like the more I've shot, the more tiny little movements, often the things that make the, uh, the photograph, talking like centimetres of movement or even less, like literally like a centimetre. So it sounds crazy. Just like tilting the camera a tiny bit could just give you the perfect uh feel to a picture that that if you hadn't seen it would have been fine probably before with with a different one but then when you when you find that position the perfect one it's just like ah yeah I, and i see that a lot in um Bo, uh, bob yeoman's stuff like where's that you know that that where's anderson stuff it's like there, there is no other camera angle it's like that they are going yeah. for that there is one that works and they have to find it yeah, and then they yeah. lock into it and you can you can kind of see, like, it's quite satisfying to watch those films. It is, it's, it's
1: really amazing. satisfying, yeah. You know, that Bob and Wes- It's almost like mathematical. It is very mathematical, yeah. And they might go closer in or further out, but they're ultimately still going to go from that completely sort of geometric, side-on, flat-on look, which is, is quite nice. And then you have this feeling of consistency and everything being just so throughout the film- the thing that's so clever about them, I think, is like
0: sometimes they do those wild, like super fast zoom-ins, mm. uh, and then they end up in a different frame. But like that, the frame that they've ended up in is also perfectly geometrically mapped out. It's almost like Incept, you know, like a frame within a frame within a frame. Yeah, and uh, they do those they, those,
1: yeah, those whip pans from like perfectly side on to a dinner table to perfectly dead on to this car, and it just yeah, it's very seamless. It's very very precise. Yeah, and um.
0: I get distracted watching those films, actually, because I'm often just imagining the the camera work. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I know what you
1: mean. But then I think fortunately, like that's, I think they almost expect that in a way. And when you're watching a Wes Anderson film, obviously you are thinking about what's happening in the plot. But I do feel like it is inviting you to just enjoy the kind of sumptuous visuals as well. That's kind of part of it, which is nice. Well, i guess i guess the point the point is
0: that that i try and get across if i'm teaching people photography or uh just discussing it with people is um it's quite tempting sometimes when you find a scene just to ex- just to get overexcited and and kind of stand in the position you were in when you clocked that it was interesting mm. and then and then to not move from that um and but what i'll usually do is is uh you know move around and like we're lucky to have you know the display on the back of a digital camera now so you can actually look at the scene from the perspective of your lens which makes it super uh easy compared to film um and uh you know you can just just walk around and, and have a look and and often it's not that first the first uh point of interest isn't the one that that is perfect it might be good but it, it's it's there's there's usually almost 99% of the time there's there is a, a tweak that has to be made and it's like ah there you go
1: yeah yeah you don't you gotta make sure you're not so transfixed by I, I mean I imagine that's what um really sets apart a good wildlife photographer because you know often those folks have been like wait camping out literally for days or weeks to see something yeah. and then it t- suddenly it's in there in front of them but that's suddenly, you know the work's not even done yet you've then still got to. <laughs> the bar is so yeah. high now you still got to then find your your way to position yourself interestingly around a super fucking rare bear you
0: know <laughs> i know i know that's gonna eat you maybe
1: yeah it's it's uh although if you
0: if you see the wildlife photographer of the year uh ph- photographers some of them uh are just just ridiculous like uh, i saw this one of a, of a whale that was shot uh it's pretty hard in podcast uh mm format to to uh, describe these shots but it, it, it's just uh, like unbelievably creative shots and like messing around with different types of like uv lights and stuff underwater and just getting like really really weird but um almost like for the sake of uh progress but uh actually coming out with a beautiful result
1: which is nice yeah well it's, it's funny i've been I've been re-watching The Sopranos at the moment. I think I'm on, this is like my fourth or my fifth watch through now, which is ridiculous because it's about 86 episodes or something silly. Um, but I mean... There's other TV, Chris. There is, but it's just, it's such wonderful TV. It's just not as good. Yeah. And it's 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 been interesting because like obviously, we're talking about cinematography lots lately and you, you do gravitate towards really interesting, innovative stuff, but... It's something about how the Sopranos is shot so simply, almost it's not shot in a hugely different way from like the OC or like <laughs> any kind of like ABC <laughs> sort of show for the most part, but it just works. And I mean, there are, there are some great shots in the Sopranos, but for the most of the time, it's very sort of almost like soap opera style. Um, but because the, the writing and the characterization is so good, it's like, you don't, I'm glad it's not more fancy than it is, which is kind of a, quite a good lesson. In itself. And it fit it fits with the tone of the whole thing,
0: really, yeah. doesn't it? It's it's not like uh it's not meant to be like um like the Godfather was shot just so like like exquisitely and yeah. so carefully and so but it, that suited the whole grandiose- suited the,
1: Yeah, the kind of Italian countryside, whereas in the Sopranos we're in like a McMansion mansion in like New Jersey, so it kind of makes more sense for it to be. But,
0: yeah, yeah, and 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 for people who don't think that cinematographers have you know don't think about this stuff, like this is hugely important stuff that I I I think that they deliberate over a lot is is the the feel and the tone, and and you know what equipment will define or help tell the the story the best for them.
1: Mm. Um, and it kind of makes me think of what we were speaking to jeff Cronenworth about you know and how like he's created some remarkable visuals and you know in fight club and stuff but how he's saying a film like gone girl is just as difficult a day at work for him because you know they've chosen to do something that's a bit less wacky and create and keeping people's interest it creates more of a challenge. absolutely
0: yeah yeah there's nothing there's no easy ticket i i i'm discovering the more we talk to these people and you know it's uh it's, it's interesting to hear yeah, uh I guess it it falls on the actors as well, though, in films when when something's you know shot like The Social Network, like what's his name, Jesse Eisenberg, uh, yeah, Eisenberg, yeah, he 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 did a great job, I thought, and like he really carried it, and it almost like doesn't really matter how it's shot because he's he was, he played a really well thought, you know, he's was just brilliant. Well, no, of course it does matter, but um, it just suited it. Like the it was simply done and just suited the the whole aesthetic. That it was it was just all very consistent.
1: Yeah, I, we should get um we should get an actor on at some point to, to talk about that because I think it would be interesting to hear because there's sort of there's one school of acting that would say you know just really concentrate on the performance, just be doing your job to the utmost there. Don't really worry about the camera too much. Obviously, you've got to hit your mark and make sure you're in the frame and everything. But, um, you know, just concentrate on the performance and let everything else fall into place. Whereas another school might say, you know, be conscious of the fact that this is a close-up and that, you know, this is where any kind of slight lip movement or interesting thing you want to do is going to make all the difference. I'm thinking of, Mm -hmm. like, Heath Ledger in The Joker with his, like, I'm not... And the way he kind of uses his mouth and uh, that's going to come through on a close-up. Whereas, you know, on a wide shot, you probably need to be concentrating less on that and thinking more about, you know, in the back of your mind, how is this looking from out wide? So I think, whereas obviously actors usually just asked about what was it like working with so-and-so? Maybe it would be interesting to speak to one of them about how they think about, uh, obviously working with the director, but how they think about where the camera is as well.
0: Mm. Well, I-, I think... I think um... Yeah, like you said, the close-ups are obviously very actor-dependent, but the the wides are, I feel, the super wide shots are, are generally like atmosphere generators almost. Mm. Like uh, that—that's how they're. So, like uh, for you know, going to my pictures again, um, I'll, I'll try and think of one. Uh, so, the shot of like the the, the the I did a picture of a lady looking a bit like Mary Poppins going up these stairs in London.
1: Right. Yeah. We'll try and stick it on an Instagram story or something.
0: Yes. Um, and that shot is very, you know, she's what like tiny percentage of the frame, but the whole thing is just about the London rainy evening atmosphere more than it is about her. But she, I mean, she complements it perfectly. Like I couldn't have. Yeah. Her, like, her like, had... body posture. Yeah. And just like the, the old school British looking coat and, you know, that that was very, very, very fortunate that she turned up. Although I did wait there for ages for mm. the right person. But yeah, she she was it. I took that shot and knew that it was done. Uh, but yeah, th- those shots are kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's a marriage of environment and subject. Um, yeah. And it just wouldn't have been as interesting if it was just focused just on her, but it's just a different thing.
1: I guess um, something we haven't spoken about as well is sort of, positioning in a frame and i always think it's really interesting like like you were saying about watching Wes anderson film getting distracted i i find myself i just get distracted in everything i watch because i'm just constantly thinking about like the choices but um there's so much you can do in film with close-ups to really change how you approach it so you know we've already spoken about your classic kind of over the shoulder where you've got a little bit of the character they're speaking to out of focus and that's fairly standard but then from there you know the other extreme is obviously having, doing two characters talking to each other, but one of them, you're literally like, it's like you're inside the person they're talking to and the, the the actor's looking directly into the camera, eyeballing you, which is obviously really extreme and usually held back for, you know, I'm thinking of like that, you're not your fucking khakis kind of thing in Fight Club, you know, a really dramatic moment. Um, but then there are sort of various gradations between that as well. Like I, there's a thing I'm seeing in a lot of TV at the moment where it's like, and what now i've said this like if you look out for it you'll notice it where it's sort of like the looking down the camera one but they're not quite so you don't see any of the person they're speaking to in in the over the over the shoulder sense it's sort of the cameras like in front of them but they're not quite eyeballing the lens and it's kind of a good way of splitting the difference so you get this you often see it in sort of police interrogation scenes so like the characters looking at you as if you're the detective but not quite not over not to the point where they're literally looking down the lens um, mm. so that's the thing I see people playing with a lot at the moment. And then obviously the placement of someone within the frame as well, this is something that, um, the handmaid's tale does really well. I often think, you know, if, if someone's in the center of the frame, usually it's not particularly distracting. You're just focusing on what they're saying. But then if you kind of, if you put them on the near side, so they're nearer the side of, this is difficult to explain in the podcast, but so they're nearer <laughs> to the side of the person that they're talking to you've got this big expanse of negative space behind them and it often it creates this feeling of like they're over here speaking to the person but they really wish they were over here over in in that space they do not want to be there at all and it's really they use that a lot in the handmaid's tale where she's you know stuck in a house with her captors and just wishes she was being elsewhere and having to force to have these conversations she doesn't want to have and then similarly sometimes you know you can do the opposite of that and put someone in the side of the frame away from the person they're speaking to. So, and I think that's often a good way of kind of showing that these two people uh, are talking, but there's a, there's a kind of an unspoken distance between them. I think, I think in Atlanta is a good scene where they do this, where they're out for kind of an, an awkward date with his girlfriend, Ernest, uh, Donald Glover's character in by putting him in the edge it's like they're having this meal but there's so much literal physical space in between them that you can kind of tell that both of them aren't feeling in a super great place about their relationship so obviously you don't I don't want it to be that prescriptive and that reductive that like that camera angle means X but um, all of those things are just such useful things it to can have it can mean X very yeah,
0: yeah. I mean yeah that, that's the thing there are no formulas it's just about having the experience to know what, what to, uh, what to try and do. Mm. I mean, I, I can't tell you how often I've, you know, street photography is a specific discipline. Like how many times I've, I've taken a picture and then looked back at it and realized I should have done it slightly different or, um, you know, or that would have been better if I'd approached it from like this angle or, or down here or down here. And, and to be honest, that's how I, I've learned really. It's just by looking at all the pictures that I've, that are like almost, or, uh, or just, you know, could have done completely better. And and I've, I've, I often look at photos that you can just see like other people's work as well. We where you, where you can just see like the intent and how it almost all came together. And the, and the thing that could have brought it out would have been like a slightly different tilt. or
1: Yeah, it's like I imagine sometimes do you find yourself like trying to force yourself to sort of relax a bit. And the composition and not think because it's there is a temptation to like everything must be perfect this person must be exactly in this sliver of light and everything and i guess sometimes sometimes it is important but i guess sometimes you want to try and force yourself to like be like you know what isn't it every single thing isn't going to line up absolutely perfectly and you've got to kind of lean into that i, t-
0: I mean yeah often i'll i'll try and set a realistic goal <laughs> um, and and then trying to and and then and then the wider your lens choice, the harder that is because
1: you've got so much to think about.
0: Yeah, yeah, like you lose so much. And, and I love uh, super wide shots that where everything is in place across the frame because it's 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 quite rare uh, that there isn't something jarring the image a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's one picture I shot in the in the British Museum from like floor angle where where it's, uh, someone shot through someone else's legs and i was very lucky because there are one, two, three, four, five, six there are seven subjects in the frame and and they're fortunately all well placed uh mm. or or at least not distractingly placed and the two main subjects are perfectly where i wanted them but everyone else was i, I wasn't looking at them at all that was all just down to luck yeah that like they could have totally ruined it <laughs> potentially <laughs> And so it's, it's very satisfying when that happens, but it's a very frustrating process using... Uh, well, yeah, that was shot on a 16. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's just really annoying. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is but, one of but the... But very satisfying yeah.
1: when, it, when it works. This is, like, one of the rare cases where you usually, like, dunking on film and saying about how, like, hard, you know, how much faff there is involved. But it's one, there is one nice thing that there is... Uh, Everything tends to be so controllable that you can actually sit there and look at a monitor for about five minutes and be like, "I'm going to move this person one inch to the left and then bring that light down a bit." Whereas yeah, with yeah, photography, yeah. you are literally in like the the lap of You're the gods. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I still have to say the,
0: the amount of variables <laughs> in film. Are just, it's true. Yeah. No, I mean, there are just so many. Yeah and i definitely don't have an executive producer lurking in the background uh, True. being like being like hey how's the how, how's the budget been wisely <laughs> spent today like show me show me your or, or oh, the worst one was uh the one that did my nut it was was continuity having to like put everything exactly back like when you see that on us you know yeah. things get moved and then you have to put the the milk cap the exact way it was and the right way up and the labels all have to be erased yeah those, you know. those
1: people like god bless them like they're doing such an important job in in the moment they're such like a cock block to you because you're just like <laughs> trying to you're like oh yeah let's you, you just get overexcited as a director and you start wanting to move everything and and then they're like no you can't do that because
0: <laughs> or, it's, yeah, yeah, or, or it's like let's shoot it again it's like no 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 no. we have to dress the set again
1: and like yeah. it's like
0: would we'll, we'll, you know give us 15-20 minutes it's like, yeah. oh okay
1: well I might uh, end today with a bit of a recommendation actually uh, a, a guarded recommendation um because the thing is, is super relevant to what we've spoken about um is a director nicholas vinding Refn, who directed everyone will know him for directing drive obviously uh such a landmark film of this era really then people might not know him so much after that because everything he's done since has kind of gone a little bit under the radar I did Uh, Only God Forgives with Ryan Gosling again, um, the Neon Demon sort of fashion set film. But he's got this little known TV series called Too Old to Die Young that was on uh, Amazon Prime with Miles Teller, who was uh, in Whiplash. And it's a very, obviously he's a weird director. He's quite punk and quite out there. But um, the camera choices in that are just absolutely bananas. It is the most there are the amount of static shots or like the camera will just really, really slowly pan at a rate of like, you know, about an inch (laughs) a minute sort of thing. Um, and it's so completely different. And I could quite understand if anyone watches an episode of this and is like, that is the most boring thing I've ever watched. I will not uh, hold that against you, but I found it like kind of mesmerizing. And, um, yeah, if you're sort of used to a certain kind of cutting and camera choice, uh, Position choice in in film and TV. Have a watch of that show because it's uh, pretty pretty wild how how he approaches it.
0: It will cleanse your
1: palate. If you've it will. It lots, definitely. If
0: you've watched lots of Marvel films recently, oh my super god, action. yeah. It's,
1: if nothing else, it's a total palate cleanser from that kind of that kind of style. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for today, Al. No, thank you. Hopefully, Chris. we'll be we'll be podcasting in the same room again at some point soon. Again, I know. Uh, I know. Straight. Fingers crossed. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to Candela. You can keep up with future episodes and news on the show on our Instagram at Candela Podcast. That's at C-A-N-D-E-L-A Podcast. We will also be posting photography and cinematography that we like on there. You can also find us on YouTube and Vero.